This morning, um, we're going to be reading out of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. I always find it ample to think about what um, I get to preach on when Colin is not here. And often what I'm reminded of is, is one of your fellow elders is it's a chance to speak about our calling and our obligation as a congregation to our elders. And so not just singular elders in Colin, but our multiple elders that we have. I think our church is highly blessed that the way our constitution is written is we are a congregational church that's led by elders. I think that is the most accurate description we can have in the New Testament. I think it is a church that is run by the people, but yet through those people it calls forth men to lead them, and those men are held accountable by the congregation. And so I would, conf- I would absolutely, with 100% confidence, confirm to you this morning that every elder that is a elder at this church would absolutely feel that they are beholden to you, that they are not above you, they are not um, in a position of authority based on their own experience or their own understanding, but they are servants of the church and servants of the church held accountable. And so this morning as we work through this message, I want us to be thinking about what this relates to us in 2021. And there's a word that I really love that I think is helpful for what we're going to read today. and It's called remindful. It's this active word of at the exact moment presently calling what is behind you, what you have learned to remind yourself But it's the same present tense being mindful, meaning holding on to it in the present of what it was that you're reminded of. It's pulling from both the past and the present going into the future. And so as this church moves forward into 2021, we want to be remindful of the duty or obligation we have as a church towards our elders. And so if you'll please follow along, I'm going to read the um, section of scripture before we go through it. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist, persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may, the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor taking the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sin of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sin of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that cannot remain hidden. So this morning we see Paul laying out for Timothy what it looks like for elders in terms of our relation to our elders. And if you're not familiar with the term elder, right, it's a biblical term for a pastor, okay, or preacher. Those are all interchangeable, and we would point to um, First Peter, and we point to various other places in Titus where those terms are used interchangeably. 
So an elder or a pastor or a preacher or a shepherd in that sense are all meaning the same thing. And so this morning as we read through this, we want to remind ourselves that we're to provide for elders, we're to protect our elders, we're to prosecute when needed our elders, and we're to promote wisely new elders from our midst. And so thinking of those things, the question is, how do I give double honor? How do I li live in love through deed and truth? So looking at our message this morning, we want to be thinking of those things. So turn, or excuse me, look with me in verse 17. And we're going to look at this notion that Paul puts forward of pay. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, Paul here isn't clarified for us yet what this double honor is, but he's going to clarify in the next verse. But we want to notice that as a church, we need to be remindful of honoring our elders. And so, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so, honor in this sense simply isn't just a, in theory, in the ether, experience, right? It actually has real-world applications. And so as Christians, sometimes we can get caught up in the spiritualization of a lot of things without actually falling through with them. And so what I mean by that, for example, is I'm sure no one else is guilty of this but myself, but sometimes I'll say to people, I'll pray for you, and I mean it more as a tagline than I actually mean as an authentic expression. Someone will say to you, man, I'm having a real hard time. Say, hey, I'll pray for you. And that's actually at the end of it, right? And so when we say, do you honor your elders? And you say, yes. Is that simply a tagline answer? Or is there actually a way you would demonstrate how you honor your elders? And Paul is going to clarify that for us more in 18. For 18 says, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so for Paul, this has a very clear application. It's actually the paying of our elders. It's one of the reasons we take a tithe. This is one of the things we should constantly be thinking of as a church. Number one, why do we pay them? And number two, how much should we pay them? These are valid questions as a church we should be working through. It's not just something we leave to a committee. It's not something we leave to the treasurer. We leave to someone else. It's something that you have an active role in in showing your honor, right? And Paul is calling us to this. The Holy Scripture is calling us to this. And it's something we should be concerned about. And so Paul uses two scriptures here to prove his point, which is a wonderful example of Christ's words being authoritative in his Jewish mind. And so if you look there, it says... You shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. Does anyone know where that's from? It's from Deuteronomy 25.4, the Old Testament, right? So this is the sacred Hebrew scripture. And when you read that in context, just a side note for you to do some homework later, it doesn't stick out and very clearly say, um, this, by the way, is referring to pastors in the New Testament that's to come hundreds of years, if not thousands of years later, right? It's talking about the actual agricultural practice, that if you let your oxen eat as he threshes out the wheat, he's going to work for you. And not only that, but it's just and good to feed your ox who's bearing the weight of your work for you. And so Paul points to this literal example and says this isn't just talking about the oxen. He's also talking about elders. And he ties it to the laborers deserves his wages. 
So if you'll turn with me, we'll look at that one actually in context. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Hold your place in Timothy. We'll come back to it. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And so we have here, to give you a little context, Jesus is sending out the 72 and he's giving them instructions on how they should go out and how they should present his message. And he says in verse 7, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So here we have Jesus speaking to the 72 and saying, It is not only okay, it is good for you to be fed and provided for as a messenger of the gospel. And so what Paul does here is he takes two examples, one from the Old and one from the New Testament, and he puts them together to show the equalness of Christ's words and eventually the New Testament, which we hold and read today. And it gives weight and power to his authority to speak to our lives. Now, we want to know something. Paul is writing this not because this is taken care of. This is actually an issue that this need addressing, right? This is an issue that we struggle with ourselves, even in 2021, right? We have the saying, which is true, I would preach for free because it's the gospel. That's a good thing. And sometimes we can take that good thing, we can make it over-spiritualized, right? So if, if someone ever says to you, and you may have had this happen to you in previous churches, right, where someone says, you know, we really need some free labor, and it would be really spiritually good if you did that, right? We have to be careful that we don't get taken advantage of with the word spiritual equating free labor. And so it doesn't just apply to elders, it applies to anything, right? And so we want to make sure that we are people who don't get taken advantage of, and that we are not having our elders, particularly someone like Colin, who's our lead pastor of preaching and teaching, being taken advantage of. And so it's important to notice that, right? Paul addresses, this is an issue of concern. It's something that's not universally yet in place. And it's coming from someone who often would not take money himself. That's really important to think about. Paul wasn't somebody who was constantly known to have a speaking fee, right? Paul points to regularly that he went out and earned his money separately to come back and preach the news. But yet here he is saying, it's actually good and beneficial for you to pay your pastor. And so we see this worked out not only in the sense of a spiritual sense, but looking at the pragmatic sense of it, it affects how much we are able to engage in being fed, our pastor being able to minister to us, and so forth. Um, I am not the lead pastor, and so my sermons are adequately lacking in depth and length and breadth because of that. Because it's, I don't have the time to focus and spend my time on those things because I have a primary job outside of the church. And so for someone like Colin, it's a good thing that we have because, again, at a moment's notice, he can be at someone's house. At a moment's notice, he can be in the Word and committing himself to the preaching and teaching. And so it's something that as a church we should highly value. And so it's something that we, we need to think about in terms of what are we subscribing to? And so what I mean by that is you don't have to raise your hands, but just go through the list of all the subscriptions you have in your life. There's Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu. If you're a big Office fan, you've now probably subscribed to Peacock, right? Um, magazines, whatever. Think about our lives right now. We are being nickel and dimed with little subscriptions everywhere. 
And so often we don't think of the church as a subscription to our spiritual health, to having cohesion in the church. But that's what Paul is calling us to do, right? Are you subscribing to making sure that our elder, preaching and teaching elder, in this case specifically for our church, is being fed, that his family is able to live off of the ability to provide for the congregation? It's a valid question. It's one that Paul puts forward to us, right? You need to feed the ox as it treads. The laborer is deserving his wages, okay? We see this being laid out for us. Now, what's interesting is Paul doesn't simply continue on to platitudes about how great elders are. He actually points out one of the reasons why we should pay them is because it comes at a high cost to be an elder. Follow along with me with 19 through 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, as those for who persist in sin rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. And so here we see Paul goes right into the context of because they're the lead elder, because we are paying them, there's going to arise drama. I have really appreciated everything that Colin has been preaching through on Revelation because it's reminded me that unity for the sake of unity is not good. And so often we, we want just no waves, right? We want nothing to rock the boat in our church life. We don't like disunity. We don't like confrontation, right? We don't like those things that come in and challenge us and put us in uncomfortable positions. But Paul's pointing to here, there's going to come opposition. There's going to come strife. Right? That's going to come naturally out of the fact that we are broken sinners and that you're going to sin against me and I'm going to sin against you. And we're going to have to reconcile that. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. And the same goes for our elders. They are not perfect above us. Right? We don't ever want to put Colin or any of our elders on a pedestal and say they are much holier than us. Right? The fact is they still need Jesus daily like we do. But we want to be careful that we don't give in to our natural desire, which is to be gossipers and liars and slanders. We love a good drama story, right? Think of any movie of a drama. We love good dramas. We love getting into things that have conflict, that give us something to talk about. My, my boys have, have an uh, app on their Kindle that lets them read books. And one of the books they've been reading is about WWF wrestlers. And they've asked me, can we watch this? And I've had to explain to them it's too much adult content. And there's too much inappropriate things going on that, that they couldn't watch it. In their mind, it's just the wrestling, right? The action of the, the matches. And then one day, I, they were asking me about it. And I broke the news to them that it wasn't real. And they were confused. And it was a bad choice as a parent on my part because I couldn't figure out how to explain to them it was fake. And, and their minds are simplistic. Why would you fake that if it's not real? But we all know the answer, right? It's because there's adults who love the drama, right? They're, wrestling is still a drama-filled entertainment event. There's lots of things going on for that drama. And we see this going on in verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except for the evidence of two or three witnesses. You have to be very disciplined, and in fact, you have to work up your discernment muscles to learn not to accept a charge. It's very easy to believe something said about an elder and go, oh, is that true? I can't believe, I'm shocked, right? And before you know it, you're part of the chain that's telling this rumor that's not been verified and you're adding to the problem. And it's a natural thing. That's why we have to work at training our minds to be discerning against such attacks. 
But notice that it doesn't say you're to excuse and not accept any charge. Absolutely. What's it say? Do not have any charge against another except on the evidence. If there is evidence and it's corroborative with other people or other things, you're to accept it. Right? So there is this sense of you constantly are open to admitting my pastor may stumble and it's my responsibility to look into that charge if it be true. That's some serious accusations and some serious responsibilities for us as the church to think through. So often we tend to do two or three things. Either we promote and spread rumors or we have a sweep everything under the rug mentality. We cannot live in those two worlds. We have to live in a world where we honestly address issues of sin with evidence to prove it or we dismiss those because there is no evidence. And that can cause issues for us with other people. That's going to cause issues for us. And we have to be mindful of this notion of accepting evidence on the basis of two or three witnesses. And look at what it says in verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, right, they continue. There's no repentance. It's a grievous thing that they're doing. Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 18 and 16. And we're going to look at how the church talks about engaging with those who are in sin. And we're going to start a verse up in 15, and we'll read this section here that is quite famous. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that by every charge you be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And a little side note here, this refers back to an Old Testament in Deuteronomy, understanding of how evidence was to be presented against those who were accused of wrong. If he refuses to listen to him, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say to you again, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask it, it will be done for you, my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, before we kind of look at this, I want to just real quick refer to verse 20, um, one of the most twisted pieces of scripture in human history. This is not meaning that Jesus is more here now because there's more of us than if I'm off by myself, right? God doesn't say the Spirit comes in percentages, okay? What's it referring to? It's referring to church discipline. Notice the process here, okay? This is a process that your elder would have to undertake just as well as you. You go to your brother, he sins, you talk to him one-on-one. If he continues, you bring someone else and say, hey, this is a sin issue in your life that we're seeing evident. That's a problem. If they continue to deny it, then what does it say to take to next? The whole church. You make it a public issue and say, listen, as a church, we want you to know that this person is struggling through this sin event in their life. They have refused to repent, and we're going to excommunicate them. This is the process with which we see the elder, and we see church members have to take with one another. But notice with me, turn back to 1 Timothy. What does it say to do there in 
20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. The pastor potentially doesn't get this long interaction of sin being worked through privately to two. It might be so grievous that it's immediately brought to the public attention because the pastor is a public person, right? He's the shepherd of the church. This is a problem we have in America, right? Think of all the pastors, unfortunately, that we can point to and say that person was entangled in an affair. That person was entangled in stealing money from the church. That person was entangled in whatever it is. As a church, we have to be willing to uncomfortably point to our pastors if they refuse to repent and say this is wrong. They are being disciplined personally and they're being potentially removed from ministry altogether because of their sin. But notice this, what it says, right? So that the rest may stand in fear. This they has two meanings. Number one, the rest of the elders, right? Because a healthy church doesn't have just one pastor. It has multiple pastors who are shepherding the flock together. But two, it's for the rest of us. We as believers take sin so seriously. We're committed to this understanding that Christ died for our sins, that Christ has called us to be born again and to live lives of following after him. And so this isn't in a sense of, I know the pastor lied, therefore he needs to be no longer my pastor, right? What's it point to? Those who persist in sin. If you have a pastor continually lies to his congregation or is continually abusive, or is unrepentant of adultery, or the things that would break the issues we see in 1 Timothy 3 of a qualification of an elder, we would want to call them before God and say, this person has been disqualified, so to speak. That's a heavy, heavy burden. And it's a burden that a pastor must understand fully. Right? There's some churches, they don't do this well. and You see years down the road, their church suffers because they don't labor in making sure that they vet and process their pastor and keep them to that standard, which we see in verse 20. But notice something that continues in 21. This isn't just simply a 2021 context. This is simply a Redeemer Christian Fellowship in Roswell, New Mexico context. There is something bigger going on, even in our small church here this morning. Read 21 with me. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. That scares me, honestly, as one of your elders, because what does it say there? Who is watching? God, Christ Jesus, and the council of heaven are looking down at how we, the church, engage with our elders. That's scary to me as a member of the church, but also it's scary to me as an elder because it means if I live a life of wantonous sin, that whole audience is watching. It's bad enough that maybe it's you and I having to interact. It's even worse to think about the fact that the host elect angels of heaven are watching and judging a pastor in sin. So what we do here in Roswell has eternal consequences, not just simply in our own life, but as a church called together. So as a church, we would like to stand before Jesus and God, the triune nature of him, and all the elect angels and not have to say, yeah, we, we just let our pastor kind of do what he want. He was a dictator. He was authoritarian. Um, we never really called him on any of his issues, right? We're going to have to answer for that as not only a church, but certainly our elders as individuals are. And so we see that in 21, right? This is done in the presence of God. So if we are not carefully dismissing rumors and slander and lies and gossips, 
the host of heaven is watching. But at the same time, if we're not addressing that clear evidence of someone who's gone astray, of someone who is abiding or persisting in sin, heaven is watching. And so he goes on to point this out, right? I charge you, keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. It is hard to do things from an unpartial stance. Think about the churches you've been to potentially and the rise of superstar youth pastors, musicians. Those kind of people take precedence, right? Because we see potential. We see what they could do. We see maybe a um, fire within them to lead. And so we quickly and partially say, hey, come on board. We're going to give you um, a lot of responsibility. We're going to put you in charge of this. We're going to put you in charge of that. You're set to go and away we let them go. And then years later, we find out they were actually in, embedded in sin. Or um, there's lots of famous stories of people, unfortunately, they've never worked their faith out a deep level. And so when they first come to actual contact with suffering and poverty and extreme darkness, they don't know how to handle it and they abandon the faith. And so as a church, we have to make sure that we don't rush things by prejudging and partiality. And as elders, that's one of the things that you guys are calling us to do, and you need to hold your elders too. And so I would say that our church has a lot of different men and different positions that we would like to see filled, but you need to be wise and say, hey, I, I think this person is not a good fit because I feel we're rushing them, right? You're part of the process. And so certainly you want to trust your elders in the sense of who they think would be a good fit to service as a deacon or an elder or any type of ministry or leadership. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we as a church don't rush because we like that person, because we see their lives radically transformed, right? We don't know what the end is going to bring when we're partial. Look at verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Again, another strong warning from Paul to encourage us to listen. You're guilty if you lay your hands on someone and say, this person is fit for service, and it turns out they were actually the worst person you could have picked. And so often, we, again, we see fire, we see excitement, we see commitment, and we think that's a qualification. It may not be. In fact, it often isn't if it's not falling in line with 1 Timothy 3 and other places that we call someone to eldership. And so as we call someone to an eldership, whether you leave this church or let's say all the elders who are currently here all move away and as a church, we have to call someone else to be our elder, right? We don't want to rush that process simply because we are pastorless. Now, it's something of importance, but we don't want to quickly rush through things and say, hey, they're young, they got a family, he's energetic, boom, we're good to go, right? Are we thinking through what this means. And in fact, again, 22 points that out. If you lay your hands on and they turn out to be unqualified, practicing sin, what does it say you're guilty of? Their sins. Again, when you get to heaven, I don't want us as a church to stand for God Almighty. And he says, remember that person you called to be an elder? You were guilty of the sins of that their falling led to. And so as a church, we're constantly working through those things. We're constantly talking about those things. It's okay to have reservations about people. It's okay, right? But what do we have to avoid? Slander, gossiping, lying, right? As it's said above. But it's okay to work through as a church. Should we call this person or do they need more time to mature? Do we need more time to vet them out to see if they're actually producing fruit of the spirit or fruit of the flesh? And so this is what Paul prescribes. 
And then he's going to take a little side detour here to 23. No longer drink only water for a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Um, just to chase a mini rabbit here. This is not a verse that would promote drinking. I would not use this verse in that sense. Now, I do think drinking is fine and adequate, and I think I could prove that biblically, but this would not be a verse I would use because it's being used in a different context. And so this has been debated all throughout on our commentaries to our Christendom, right? What is he referring to? Is it because the water was so polluted that they had to, you know, mix wine and alcohol to kill anything that was in it? Or was it like a modern, you know, take a Pepto-Bismol kind of approach? But notice at the very least, Paul is concerned with Timothy. And so as a church, I would encourage us to answer this question that I pointed at the beginning. Are we concerned with our elders? How are we concerned about showing them honor? Right? In your giving of tithes, what else are we doing to be conscious of one another, but particularly our elders who work hard at preaching and teaching? How are you showing them honor? Right here we see Paul is concerned for the minutia of his health in regards to Timothy. And so just to point that out, that this is a, a section that, while granted we see it pointing to maybe a question of what the time was like in terms of water quality at that time, it's more about taking care of our elders. Paul looking to take care of Timothy in this regard. Verse 24. He's going to summarize his whole points here and remind us of what we need to be remindful of. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So often in church life, we forget to look at the fruits of the person we're interacting with. And so often we forget that fruit reveals itself. I don't know if many of you who are horticulturists, but if you plant something, say a tomato vine, can a tomato vine decide not to grow tomatoes but instead grow cherries? No, now it can grow cherry tomatoes, but it's still a tomato. Right? An apple tree can only bear apples. Right? And so often in our lives, we, we have to remind ourselves that you are a tree. You are bearing fruit whether you want to admit it or not. You are bearing fruit of the Spirit right, and the working out of Christ in your life, or you are working out the deeds of the flesh. You are bearing that fruit. That fruit will come eventually to be seen. And so often if you've thought, if you've ever planted things, there are certain plants that don't grow tomatoes. What do you do with them? Chunk them, right? You don't keep them around. There's no point keeping a tomato vine that's not growing tomatoes. So often, I think, in our Christian life, we have to remind ourselves, and this is what Paul's point to, the sins of some are obvious, right? But some are not. But guess what it says happens? They will appear later. This is why, as a church, we have to be so careful who we call to eldership. Because it might be four, five, six years down the road where that sin is apparent, but if we had been cautious and not showing hastiness and partiality, we would not have to eat that fruit later that comes to bear. But notice again that Paul points to the good as well, right? The good works, are, some are very clear, but some take years to see as well. And so Paul is pointing out that as a church, as members of Christ's body, we are to be mindful of this call to our pastor, particularly calling in this sense, but all our elders, but particularly how we interact with them. Are we giving them double honor? 
are we vetting out rumors and seeing if they're true or not? Are we addressing with our pastor, hey, this is a sin issue. We're concerned that if you don't address, it's going to become bad fruit, which is going to have you removed from the office of pastor completely. It's something we're called to do as a church, and it has eternal consequences before the throne of God. So this morning, I want to remind you to be remindful of your duty to your elders in this church.